morning in our continued study of the Gospel of Mark to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're beginning to read at verse 18 and we'll read into chapter 3, verse 6. Mark 2, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 6. Note, if you look at the order of worship for this evening, we're continuing our study of TULIP, not the doctrinal aspect of it, but the life aspect of it. Tonight, we'll look at the theme of irresistible joy, that in the Christian's life, joy must be there. It's a given. It's a must. So hopefully you'll come tonight and we'll study God's Word in regards to that. This morning, though, it's Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worse And a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. The wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How? To destroy him. 
as far as the reading of God's Word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear, dear Lord, we once again thank you for this privilege and opportunity that we have to come and worship you. And we thank you for the change of season. Um, however, it seems a little early, dear Lord, we just thank you for the beauty of your earth. Dear Lord, we ask that you be with Pastor Bob as he delivers your message today. And please be with us as a congregation to open our hearts and our minds to receive this message and apply it to our lives and learn to live for you. Dear Lord, this we ask in your name. Amen. I've entitled these sections that we're reading here from Mark, Putting First Things First. Although there have been some confrontations with the Pharisees and other religious leaders, they've been fairly mild. This series of confrontations certainly riles them up. Riles them up so much that when we come to the last verse that we read, they're already beginning the plot to kill him. Pretty strong reaction to a confrontation that they have. But it's because, you see, Jesus is teaching them and us about putting first things first. And you see, whenever you talk about something like that, there are people who have things number three on their list who have put them number one, and they're going to be angry, they're going to be ticked off that you dared mention the fact that their number three is to be number one. And that which they think is the most important, that which is the most essential, is really very far down on the list. People don't like that. People don't like it when you, when you do it with your children, when you as parents do it with your children, your children get angry. People don't like it when the minister does it. Thankfully, you don't all plot to kill them, nor do your children. The anger here is so intense that there is a plot to kill Jesus. What is it that Jesus is saying here that so riles them? Well, he tells them you've got to put first things first. And it's really divided into two main points this morning. First of all, there is the question about fasting and then there's the question about the Sabbath. So we deal, first of all, with the subject of the fasting. Now, what brings this on is that John's disciples, John the Baptist, that is, disciples, were engaged in fasting, and so were the Pharisees. Now, we have to distinguish here what is actually taking place. Scripture, you see, commanded a fast on only one day out of the calendar year. Only one day. According to Leviticus 16, verse 24, only on the Day of Atonement. Only on that day were God's people commanded not to eat. They were commanded to fast. 
But like other things that we find, other laws that God gave, the Pharisees had added to this. The Pharisees had stated that not only on the Day of Atonement, but every week. On the second and fifth days of the week. So every Monday and every Thursday was to be a fast, a 12-hour fast, from sunrise to sunset. Mondays and Thursdays, because they were a fast, were to be solemn. They were to be joyless days. When we read the account uh, that we are given in Matthew chapter uh, 6 in regards to this, it would appear that... uh, The Pharisees also dressed the part, and they looked the part. They wanted to make sure everybody knew it was a Monday. You could tell it by the expression on the Pharisee's face. You could tell it was a Thursday because of the way that they had disfigured their faces. We don't know if that means that perhaps they had put some ashes on them, as many try to do in today's culture around Ash Wednesday and that whole observance. We don't know what that whole thing meant, but it probably was something along that because that would be a sign of repentance and sorrow. These were to be days of great drudgery. That's what's being talked about here. So the question that's coming to Jesus is, not why do your disciples not fast on the Day of Atonement? Because you see, then it would not be specified as only John's disciples and the Pharisees. Then it would have been the nation was fasting. Why do your disciples not fast on the Day of Atonement? That's not the question. So we're looking at this added law. This added law of fasting on the second and fifth days. Why do your disciples not fast then? So Jesus gives them an example. And the example is this. Do wedding guests fast? And we go, no, we don't think so. But what's that really got to do with the question? On the Jewish culture of that day, couples, the bride and groom, went on no honeymoon. Some of you might want to take additional notes of this as money-saving activity. No honeymoon. Instead, you stayed home and were treated for a week like a king and queen. And the guest that you invited were the people who waited on you hand and foot, but it's waiting on you hand and foot by bringing food and food and food and food and food. You basically ate the whole week. The Pharisees said, if you are one of the invited guests to this wedding, You're exempted 
from the Monday-Thursday rule. You're exempted from the second and fifth. Why would you not celebrate with the bridegroom? That by far is the greater invitation. Being invited by the bridegroom and bride to this week where you are an invited guest, where you are an honored guest, where you are one who gets to come and eat for that whole week. Oh, you should never set that aside for the fasting. Then the fasting rule can be set aside. So what Jesus is simply saying is this. Look, guys, the reason they're not fasting is that the bridegroom has invited them to a banquet. Meaning, he himself. He himself has invited the guest, the disciples, to a feast. Therefore, why would they fast? So in other words, he's taking their own rule and applying it as to why the disciples are not fasting when they are. Because you see, that would lessen their joy. If they're invited to this banquet, this wedding feast, and then on Monday they have to fast, well, that takes away from the joy and the gladness. If if they have to fast again on Thursday, that takes it away. Some people, we are told during this time, longed basically their whole week to just be an invited guest to somebody's wedding. It was like the highlight of one's life. I hope somebody someday invites me to a wedding because then I got a whole week of celebration. What a beautiful picture this gives us, isn't it? Because the New Testament goes on to tell us that as Christ is the bridegroom, we as the church are the bride. And that's the ongoing relationship of the bridegroom and the bride. It is an ongoing celebration of joy. See, that's the relationship we have to Christ. An ongoing feast to which we are all invited, to which we are all coming to which we set aside all other things in order that we might be present at that feast. Because this is the celebration of joy, of blessing, to be an invited guest. Oh, wonderful. But we're more than the invited guest. We're the bride of Christ. You see, the Pharisees are beginning to uncover and to reflect upon, well, what's he saying? What is, this, what is this new teacher saying about himself? So hopefully that helps us understand Jesus' example. But, but he's not done. Then he goes on to illustrate a principle. 
And this is where, this is where if, if they're beginning to get a little, eh, he's calling himself a bridegroom and his disciples are guests. Eh, how come we're not invited? How come we're not in? We should be the in ones. After all, we're the Pharisees. We're the religious leaders. How come? What's this we've missed out on? Okay. You know, it's sort of, well, are we not good enough? What, what's going on? But now Jesus increases the concern on their part. But he displays for us in these illustrations. And he uses two very practical illustrations, right? New fabric sewed to an old piece of cloth is going to have the tendency to shrink. And therefore, wherever you stitched is going to come apart. So if you're trying to cover a hole of two inches and you put a patch over it of six inches square, okay, because that new cloth, new fabric is going to shrink, it's going to pull away. Now, rather than your two-inch little spot, you now have a six-inch hole because it pulled away. Nobody does that. You don't take that which is new and put it on that which is old. You don't mix the two. Same principle is going on with the wine. If you put the wine the new wine into an old wineskin, an old, cracked, dried, hardened wineskin. New wine expands. It grows. If you put that new wine into the old wineskin, the old wineskin is going to burst under the pressure of the new wine, growing and expanding. Therefore, you ruin not only the old wineskin, all the wine is wasted. So everybody knows when you make a batch of new wine, you put it in a new skin. You take a freshly skinned animal, such as a goat, and you store the wine in that animal. Why? Because the skin will expand as well along with the wine. Now, what's the principle that Jesus is getting at? The new fabric of the gospel, the new wine of the Spirit, cannot be contained in the old rubric of man's religions. That which, is, that which Christ is bringing, grace, cannot be contained in the old legalism of the Pharisees. Jesus is not talking about throwing away the Old Testament. No, he's talking about throwing away the legalism of the Pharisees. You want everybody to fit into that you want everybody to fit into your understanding that which you have made God's word into which is no longer what it is that which I am bringing won't fit in in other words guys the teaching that I am bringing puts you out of business you and your Pharisaical 
laws, you and your pharisaical clothing, you and your pharisaical pride, is done for. Because I'm bringing that which is new. I'm bringing that which is by grace. First things first. This is what I've come to do. I've not come to conform myself into your system of religion. And they get it. They understand. But I wonder sometimes if we do, do we get it? We get how this Christian life is an ever-growing, ever-expanding, non-stagnant life? Is our love for Christ growing and building? Is our desire to follow Christ swelling? Is our joy flowing over? Or are we stuck in old systems? Are we stuck in old ways? Are we stuck in old thoughts, old patterns that are not fit for the gospel? In fact, they're counter to the gospel. And when we try to take that which Christ has brought and bring it into that, it only makes matters worse. The whole thing is spilled and torn. A question about fasting, putting first things first. Secondly, there is the question of the Sabbath, and this takes two aspects. First, in regards to the Sabbath, Jesus is teaching in this first section that the Sabbath is not broken when we do that which is of necessity. So what's the situation? They're walking along on a Sabbath day through grain fields and disciples pluck grain. Now, first of all, some people may say, well, why aren't the Pharisees upset about stealing? I mean, they're they're taking grain from some guy's field, and they're not asking. And the answer is because they don't have to. Because the book of Deuteronomy told them that, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, 25, that it was perfectly permissible to walk through somebody's field and to pluck heads of grain. The only thing is, you could not take your combine to your neighbor's field, okay? nor could you take your sickle to your neighbor's field and chop a whole bunch, but you could take a handful. That was not considered stealing. In fact, every Jewish farmer was commanded to leave the edges of those rows just for certain, those situations. 
They were commanded not to do so. It's rather interesting when you drive through Amish country sometimes how that principle is still upheld. While we tend to get every last drop we can out of it. I think they're just baiting deer more than anything. That's what the disciples are doing. Perfectly permissible, except it's the Sabbath. Well, now come the Pharisees, because of all the laws that the Pharisees have, they're experts on delineating what work is. 39 separate laws. 39 separate. So they took the law from the Ten Commandments, and from that they made 39 other separate laws, which were then subdivided into six categories, out of which flowed all sorts of laws. So think about it like a root. Here we have the root, and then you get main stems out of it. Only they had 39 out of it, and then they got all those little ones out of it. That's what they're doing. The point is, by the time they're down to the bottom, they're looking at the minutiae, they're looking at all the sub-laws that they have made, and no longer are they looking at the law. No longer are they concentrating on the commandment. So Jesus uses an example. He uses the example of King David. Now, King David's their hero, one of their heroes, because they're all waiting for the Messiah. They're all waiting for the son of David to come. And they all know they're going to come from David because David was a man after God's own heart. They're all singing David's psalms. Okay, he, he is like the, the epitome of, of greatness as far as kings are concerned. Probably second in their religion only to Abraham and maybe Moses. But he's right up there. David, Jesus says, remember that one occasion? David comes to the priest at Nob and asks for some bread. And the priest said, don't have any. Except, I just replaced the Sabbath day bread. See, on every Sabbath day at the tabernacle, on the table of showbread, they took they took the 12 loaves that were there and they replaced them. So those loaves go out, new fresh loaves come in. The old loaves that they take off the table are for Aaron and for his sons. That was by divine command. The priest, however, gives David that bread. And David and his companions eat the bread. Jesus said, is saying to them, what about that? It was intended only for the priest and for his sons, but David eat it, ate it. Why? Because there is a necessity. There was a need for that meal. There was a need to use that bread. Therefore, the law has a sub-law. Yes, it does. But the sub-law was not theirs. 
The sub-law was not by their invention. Jesus isn't saying, yeah, I go along with your 39. No, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. If you want refinement to the law, if you want a clearer understanding of what the law is, you don't go to men. You guys. You come to the source of the law. You come to the truth. You come to the Son of Man. You come to me. Because I'm the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. And I say that the Sabbath is not violated when the principle of need is applied. You see, the Sabbath's purpose was to be a blessing for man. But these Pharisees had turned the Sabbath into, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? Can I do that? Is this okay? That people were living under such a dark cloud of judgment, of inspection, of criticism. There was no joy in the Sabbath anymore. This day that God had given for them to rest in Christ, to rest in His salvation, and to know that they remained in that. They had so nitpicked this day into all those fine little hairs of roots that everybody was looking here and they forgot the main purpose. And Jesus comes and says, as the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm saying to you, what David did was permissible because it was out of need. Therefore, my disciples did that which is permissible out of need. And therein lies the question, right? Therein lies the question. What is need? What, what is really necessary upon the Sabbath? I'll simply comment by using God's word to comment. Go to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. God's call to his people. Go to verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, there's a principle. My pleasure is not need. My pleasure is not need. I don't need to shoot a deer on Sunday. I don't need to go to Outback on Sunday. I don't need to go to the mall on Sunday. I don't need. See, it's the principle of need, not my pleasure. 
if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. Is this a good day? It's a good day because football's on this afternoon. It's a good day because we have a big meal. It's a good day because we're going to a party this afternoon. It's a good day because... No, no. Because if you honor it, not going your own ways and seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says there's a principle involved. You don't honor my day, life is not going to be easy. Life is not going to be easy. Is it a necessity? Jesus said if it's a necessity, you have permission. It's okay. You can, you can just see the hair on the back of the Pharisee's neck. He just set aside 39 laws. Rabbis have worked for years coming out. He just set it aside. He just said, no, you can, if it's a necessity, you can do it. We, we no, we don't go. Oh, the hairs are rising. So we journey to the next example. Jesus says not only that which is necessary, but that which is merciful. We meet a man with a shriveled hand. <laughs> Interesting Jewish legend has that uh, this man's shriveled hand was the result of an accident. He was a bricklayer, a stonemason, and had it crushed underneath a stone so that it was no longer able to be used. Luke adds the little bit of, not real trivia, but kind of interesting. He says it's the man's right hand. So it's his predominant hand, most likely. It's the hand that he needs to do his work with. And now that he does not have this, not only is his hand shriveled, but he also has the problem of probably poverty is coming upon him. He can't go to the temple to worship. He can come to the synagogue, but he can't go to the temple because no one with a withered hand or withered foot or anything can, can go to the temple. Now, we don't know for sure what caused it. We're just told the guy has a withered hand. The Pharisees, note, look at this as a test. They know the man has a withered hand. They know the man is in need. But all they're trying to do is what's he going to do? How is Jesus going to respond? We see that in verse 2. They watch to see. Notice how in verses 3 and 4, Jesus knows their thoughts. See, they haven't expressed this. They're just thinking about it. But Jesus, knowing what's behind this, has the man come forward with then asking a question. Can one do good on the Sabbath? Is one able to give life or one, should one kill it? Now, go with me to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 12 kind of corresponds to where we are here, Matthew chapter 12.
Notice at verse 9, we're in the synagogue, 10, there's the man with the withered hand. Is it lawful to heal? Verse 11, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? See, the principle is this. If the sheep stays in the pit, it will likely die. Therefore, lifting the sheep out of the pit is considered a work of mercy. Else it would die. So you put the rope down there, you'll get the sheep out somehow or another so that it does not die. This is going to involve a lot of work. It's going to involve the breaking of a lot of the 39 rules. But you see, that's permissible. How much more valuable is a man's life? Now go back to Mark. After placing the question before them, which seems to be a pretty easy answer, right? It seems to be an easy answer. Well, of course you get the sheep. Of course life is more important. But they were silent. Okay, guys, let me ask you again. Is it per silent? And look at the response of Jesus. And he looked around at them with anger. How can your hearts be so hard that you do not see that the work of mercy triumphs over your 39 laws. See, they're so concerned about their 39 laws that there's no room for compassion. There's no room for caring. There's no room for mercy. There's no room for this man's life. Some commentators say that one of the reasons Jesus is doing this is because they have not taken care of the poor man the way they should have. Here he is. He's poor. They've done nothing. They've done nothing the other six days of the week to help this man, week after week after week. And now they're going to criticize that Jesus heals him, takes away his poverty, gives him his dignity back, gives him the right to go back to the temple to worship God once again. They're going to be angry about that? Jesus became angry. Stretch out your hand. The man stretched out his hand and it was healed. No touching wasn't needed. No command to demons wasn't needed. The one who is the Lord of the Sabbath simply has to say, stretch out your hand. 
and it's healed. But oh, the reaction. We need to kill this man who does good on the Sabbath. We need to kill this man who upsets the apple cart of our religion. We need to destroy this man. Because he is merciful. This is a lesson on putting first things first. Are we, are we in our lives putting first things first? Well, that doesn't mean we sweep away the Sabbath. But are we putting the Lord of the Sabbath first? The Pharisees conspire with the Herodians is how to destroy him. Let's you and I run to embrace him. Amen? Father, we thank you that you and your mercy and grace reach out over and over and over and over and over and over to us. Upon this day, where we hear your word, where we worship with your people, an act, an activity, a work. Yet, Father, this is what we come because we know the one who is Lord of the Sabbath. What a blessing it is to rest fully, firmly in Christ. Today, every day, and oh, the joy of knowing Christ. And God's people say again, 